Good evening. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have John Paran. John is known mostly for his movie soundtrack hit, St. Elmo's Fire, but John has done many albums, done a ton and ton of other songs and projects, and he, he, he gives back to the community. And he's a hell of a guy. John, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, man. Good you? to see you. How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, your big song is St. Elmo's Fire, but I'm going to tell you when um, your first album came out, and we'll go back to the history. With you know, I know, I know it was a big single, but I remember getting a cassette and this is before Tim was fire, and I was just loving it. And I fell in love with like Love Grammar and then Don't Leave Your Mark on Me. And um, we even in high school, me and my buddies did like a lip sync video to it. It was, you know, it was like, Who's John Parr? I'm like, I'm like, I got the song for you. It was a school project came up, I'm like, I got it. And I wouldn't, so the fact you actually hit you had actually redone the song, Don't Leave Your Mark on Me. For me, it was fantastic because I think that's one of my favorite songs by you. Um, really? Yeah. yeah, we did it twice. We did it, um, <clears throat> well, originally Meatloaf did it. And then, of course, it was on John Par 1. And then mm -hmm. Jerry Hay, who did the, all the, the brass arrangements on San Elmo's, he wanted another stab at it. So we did version two on second album, Running the Endless Mile. Yeah, man, thank you. It's one of those songs that not many people know. And it's crazy. It, and, and at the point, like I was in high school and... Um, like I, said, I had the cassette, like the first cassette that didn't have St. Elmo's Fire before he came out. And I was like, who is he? And then someone goes, we have like a loose band, a couple of friends of ours. We hadn't done anything. And they're like, oh, we need somebody to do a lip, a lip sync video for a school project. And I'm like, I got just the artist. And I remember I, we, we did it and no one really knew who it was. I gave him the music and stuff. You know, we just lip synced to it. And afterwards, people in the hallway were coming up to me going, that was a really good song. Like they thought it was me. I'm like, no, 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 it's John Parr. It's John Parr. <laughs> So um, I've always been trying to do the word to spread, spread the message of John Part. And actually recently, I've just found your, uh, the vinyl of that first album. Wow. Which, which is really fantastic to get my hands on. Um, so you've, you've done a lot of fantastic things. But one of the things I always thought was really great is you're actually, your love, you're like a Les Paul guy, right? Mostly? Or... Yeah. Yeah. I, I um, went out my first professional job. I, um, I didn't drink. We were working in the club six nights a week, didn't drink for the whole six month season, saved the money and bought the Les Paul, 1971, I think. I love your guitar. She has some great things on it. Um, so is it, it's pretty much, it seems like it's been the same-ish guitar. Have you, have you done any like revamping over the years? I mean, you have your symbolic one, your main guitar, it seems like the, the flag is it, but are there many different versions? Are there different pickups and stuff in them? Or? Yeah, that, um, that's the same Les Paul I bought, my very first one. And my, uh, my buddy, my school friend buddy, he started making the fairing systems for motorbike racing, you know, all the, the kind of airflow systems. Yeah. And he built the cover. So it's actually a cover that fits on. So he, he put the flag on the guitar in 71. It's like a plate? Um, it's like a mask. It, it, it's the shape of a Les Paul. You just take the strings and the bridge off and you put in the knobs and you put it on and then just put it all back. That's brilliant. I mean, now everyone does stuff like that, but back then, that's yeah. It was uh, and and then I used to have a spare Les Paul. So when when we would uh, in, in the eighties when we toured in America, I would have a state flag for every state that I would put on the spare guitar. But ironically, it was amazing. I used to say I've got a special surprise and come out with this guitar. And it was amazing. I used to get little reaction. A lot of people didn't think it was their state flag. It was like oh, didn't know it. it was, Weird. It's incredible, yeah, because you think, you know, who could afford to have 50 less Pauls or whatever? And you'd be exactly. like, no, yeah. he's changing. That's brilliant. I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. 
and country ones. You know, we used the Canadian, the Japanese. I've seen the Canadian one before. And we got the Confederate one as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, don't want to do that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that one's caused a little bit of work. Yeah. Um, man. So. Standard, standard Les Paul, regular pickups and stuff, anything custom off of it? Just kind of... No, I mean, I have another, uh, like a special guitar uh, called the Veteran, and that's kind of a bespoke guitar, like a Les Paul. Uh, it's got uh, humbucking pickups uh, reversed, so it's like a lemon drop, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, the Peter Green. And that's all pewter. So the face of that was made by a jeweler friend of mine. So all the faces... It's still a stars and stripes, but unless you look close, you wouldn't know it's because it's engraved. And every part and every part of the guitar is, is to do with uh, the services in America. So there's lifeguard, there's Navy, Army, Air Force, uh, which is all brilliant. different parts. And their and their motives or their Latin phrases, you know. That is that's fantastic. Um, they do that. So uh, one last guitar question because I, I just I love your I love your sound I love your tone. Thank what key strings are you using? Are you using heavy strings? Are you a light string, heavy string guy? Heavy. I'm a heavy guy. I'm so violent with the guitar. Uh, I, I I got a 13 on the top. No way. Uh, yeah. And a, a, and an 11 as the B string, you know. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they're, they're pretty no tuning. <laughs> they cut me. I, I, usually a half, a half a step down. So they're a bit slacker, but they're still tough. Okay. Yes, that's 13 is big. That's like Stevie Ray Vaughan heavy. That's like baseball bat neck heavy. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Stevie Ray Vaughan is the same way as big neck them. bats. No, I mean, I, but but I it was just because um, a pretty big neck on that old Les Paul. But um, yeah, they do. I would just I couldn't do two songs with an 09 on it, double 09. They just go. It's funny and to hear that. Used to be, sorry. It's funny to hear different guitars. The gauges are so different for people. Yes, totally, totally. Even on the acoustic, I mean, I play the acoustic so much more these days, but they're big, heavy strings. Yeah, I haven't figured out what, what's a good gauge for me for, for acoustic yet. I haven't. I'm, that's really such a hard, find a sweet spot. I'm more of a medium yeah. gauge for electric. And I'm kind of toying the idea of going back and forth between light, maybe try, but then try heavy. Uh, but I don't know. Acoustic's gonna be a tough one to figure out. <laughs> a lot, a lot of my stuff is um, quite hard hitting on the acoustic. It's playing a bit like an electric guitar, so it's, the feel of it is maybe just a little bit tighter than Les Paul. But um, I do a lot of hammer and pull-offs and bends, so mm -hmm. it's um, it it peels my fingers pretty bad. Well, well the thing is, it's funny because you are a good guitar player, and then maybe I hate to say underrated is a crazy underrated underrated is such an overrated word, uh, but you're not known as John Parr, either rocker, either singer, guitar player. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. Which kind of discounts a little bit that you're just, well, he's that St. Elmo's guy, that one hit wonder. First off, I hate that hit. Exactly. He's had albums. Yeah. One hit wonder is such a, it's like, he's that one hit insurance guy. He's that one hit. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one's ever in the world. I mean, you have a successful career and somebody acknowledges something. It's such a, um, a, a, a yeah, misnomer, you know, horrible thing. Yeah, it used to bug me, but, you know, it's like when, you know, I mean, I've been around such a long time. I mean, I've been, I've been in this business for, you know, well over 50 years. So when the internet first came, it was kind of a curse to all musicians and all the it music. It was. But for me, what it then started to do with YouTube and stuff is people started to discover all my old stuff. And so it, it the word of mouth kind of got rid of, but it used to be terrible, that one hit wonder thing. And it so is. Now I'm used to, 
he used to clunk behind me like an anchor, you know, but I, I just learned, you know, even actors, they'll go, yeah, he's the guy out of Shawshank Redemption or he's the what, you know, hey, how bad? How bad to have St. Elmo's Fires if you're known for it? It's, you know, it's not a well, bad well, thing. To that point, I think when I say it means in a good way, it can be kind of like a gateway word. Like, oh, that's John Parr. I like St. Elmo's Fire. What else does he do? Oh, the guy in Shawshank, I like him. What else does he do? That could be the a great entrance to anybody because that's what you want. It's promotion. And it the doesn't fact happen that yeah. Well, I think journalists were very lazy about it by using it. And it's always like a one hit wonder CD. You know what I'm saying? It was very lazy sure. and used negative. Sure. When it, it's a positive thing. Um, so I just yeah, I mean, comment. it's really funny because um, obviously uh, I had a number one record in America before St. Elmo's Fire. So it was like Naughty yeah. Naughty was number one rock radio record. Uh, but but it, I was so late in getting a record deal. I was 32. And... Um, you know, you know what it's like. You buy, you can buy records from a very reputable band or whatever, and you can just tell they put two or three on it and they saved some for the next yep. record. And you got six or seven passenger tracks, you know. And for me, I just think, you know, tracks have to earn their place. They really got to yeah. earn their place. And I'm not saying everybody does it, but, you know, I wouldn't name names, but I mean, some big acts that I was on, on Atlantic with, because Atlantic were known as a label that would only ever release one, maybe two singles, the acts just wouldn't put the other singles on the album because they thought, well, they're not going to get a shot. Like you say with John Parr 1, Love Grammar was the song that got the record deal and was not Oh, never my really God, released. that song is so, it's brilliant. The songwriting is brilliant. Yeah, I, and it, to this day, so is the album. Still, like it's a regular yeah. flow album. So it's frustrating, you know, that, that you know, I don't think they're, I don't think there are any passengers on that record, you know, and it put, I think it could have had four or five shots at the charts, you know. I think you could re-release it, do, a, do a, like a reprint. I'd love yeah. to hear it out there again. I think this, yeah, the internet a, is right. Yeah. Well, it's funny, we're, you know, making the new record and it does sound like the old record, you know, it's that style, you know, kind of natural. Which I wanted to get to also. I just want to give you some props yeah, sure. because I just don't hear enough, you know, you always hear the same part, you know, you know, same old side thing, but that first album and then the second album and, 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 and the soundtracks you've done, you've done so much other good music. I just wanted to shine a little light on that for a minute before we. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> went, went there. Um, so actually from talking about your new album and that's your studio, which you're seeing pictures online. It's, it's beautiful. Tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I would never this leave the studio. Somewhere in Yorkshire. This is uh, we're in a 300 year old building. Uh, the, the, the barn is, you can't see, but the, there's a, we can put an orchestra in the big room. Uh, we got Santa picture, um, and that's a William and Mary barn. So that dates back to 1703. Uh, and then in here, then, huh? 1703, yeah. And then in here, we are, uh, obviously, we've got the digital end with the desk and the computer, but behind me, we're nearly all vintage analog. So uh, I love that. We've, got, we've got the Fairchild in here and the Pultex and all the bit. I love the analog. I love it. That's great. I mean, it's beautiful too. It's in it. There's pictures for people. I'll put the website and all your links below on the YouTube channel. So they can go and look at this because there are pictures. Of this. I took, I fell in love with it. Um, yeah, it does, somewhere it's in great, a, a barn yeah, mixed yeah. cavern sort of studio mix. It looks so high tech yet old style. It's you've got a totally. nice mix. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you get bands in here. Obviously, we get, you know, we get some high rollers, but also. It's the kind of place that it's not intimidating. So young guys can come in 
and um, you know we 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 do weekend rates for kids starting, or some of the older guys that have been in the game never made it, but they've never recorded their stuff. They've been doing it forty years, but they've never mm-hmm. been in a studio. So we'll have them in at weekend, and the place is on. In, it's not intimidating, and you know the room is kitted out with sofas, and even the drummer, you know, drum kits usually buy the Chesterfield sofas, and people are. You know, they, I say we'll strike the room and make it empty, but they just want it to be like a home, you know. And it, it, the it pictures of it, yeah. show it. Sorry, it means the pictures I look at, I'm like, that looks like a comfortable place to write an album. It looks yeah, totally. like it's the best. So you're writing a new album, and has it changed with yours, your songwriting? I mean, I see most people, you being a singer-songwriter, you probably do a lot of acoustic. Even back in the day, you probably wrote a lot, maybe acoustic, and then switched over, or were you electric? player songwriter or has that worked out for you yeah it, it, i mean with me it's a strange one a lot of the time it's when i'm driving so i'm unencumbered by anything uh can be a phrase and you know it can be a piano it can be a guitar acoustic guitar i agree with you that you know just noodling yeah if you put a drum machine on or you put a, a synth sound that can trigger you too but mm-hmm. generally i i come from a more uh old-fashioned place that you know is picking a guitar up or playing a piano um uh but lyrical ideas and certainly notional ideas usually come out the air they usually come to me uh kind of that second wheel in your brain when you're doing something else and it you could be sanding some wood and yeah nice hot shower you're like oh that's a melody (laughs) yeah exactly you know so yeah with this album it was a lot of pressure because i wasn't really thinking about making a record and I, I started doing some uh, work with Kenny Jones uh, who's the drummer from Small Faces then the Faces with Rod Stewart mm-hmm. and then latterly with The Who he took Keith Moon's place for he's a fantastic years. drummer too he is yeah, yeah, I'm so excited for this. so I, I would do uh, concerts with Kenny uh, down at his place uh, live concerts and we became pals and uh, another drummer friend of his, Mark Singer, said, look, John, you know, we really want to make a record. And I said, man, I, I'm not. What happened basically was Mark Singer, the drummer, came up here, just set a drum kit up in the room, just got the guitar and started making a record. And I could see there was potential. So what I would do is I'd get up first thing in the morning, write the song, and then we record it later that day. And then Kenny was coming up to do a a couple of things. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to write something specifically for Kenny? So he was in the small faces. And any of your your listeners out there who don't know the small faces, please check them out because... And also, shame on you for not knowing the small faces, people. Shame on you. And then check them out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I wrote a song called Last Man Standing because Kenny is the last living member of the small faces. So he played on that. And then I wrote another song called Sweeter the Second Time Around, which is about the faces and about the guys up in heaven looking down on who's left. And there's only Woody and Kenny left. So that was so great to have Kenny Jones playing these songs. And and we we had a camera crew in, so we had a a, got a making of movie. And it's beautiful. It's it's, excellent. It's full of humanity and love and the creative process. And it's uh it's just, you know, it's not warts and all, but it's just real and and uh, hopefully inspiring. I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm excited for it. And what's really great about you is you've always, I mean, 
you did you really worked hard to get in, in, in to the industry for a while but you've never been bitter your songs even your first big single your first everything you've done has always been about love and power and yeah. helping and then your songs have been for charity and you've written songs for you know don't work with soldiers and and, and and this you've always been no matter how things have been for you fighting fighting the ugly of the industry and i'm sure times have changed because every artist has had that big change in the dip the records and the downloading oh. you always stay the the, the course of yeah. uh yeah, oh, I mean, you're the first person that said, I mean, you're the first person that kind of said that, you know, uh, it's interesting, you know, when you do these uh, interviews, and it's funny when you do them, this new way of doing them, how you and I are doing this one, mm -hmm. um, there's a plus to it as well. I found myself saying things that I, even in a room I don't say, it feels much more intimate in a way, even yeah. though we've got all this technology between us. Um, yeah, I think when things happen to you in life, you know, I've, I've been through the mill a bit with illness this last few years, and uh, it's been touch and go a few times, but I've actually seen it as a blessing because what it's done, I'm empowered. I've got the T-shirt. I've been in the dark place, so I can help somebody else that's in that dark place. Often a doctor or a nurse can't do that because they, they, they rarely have been there. They've experienced it from the outside. So I found a lot of adversity in my own life. Uh, I can walk in another person's shoes quite easily. And that's enabled me to, I think, write with a great deal of honesty and sympathy, empathy. Uh, certainly when I did the mission, uh, I was really on my honor, wanted to write what it's like to be a soldier, the wife of a soldier, the mother, the father, the brother. I wanted to explore uh, what that was like. Uh, my father had been in the military, but I was very young, so I, I, I didn't emotionally know then. But what happened was when I went to America and we did uh, 18 months just on the road for love, not for any money, and we played anything from hospitals to a military base, sometimes arenas, um, people would come to me and say, my brother is serving. How could you know how I feel? But this song is how I feel. And that kept coming back to me with the military thing. And it took me right back to San Elmo's, uh, which, uh, you know, obviously was, so it's like, as I say, so it's bigger than a hit record when somebody says this really touched me, this enabled me to get through the day or whatever. And that's exactly what happened with San Elmo's. San Elmo's was written entirely about a young man that broke his back that was trying to do the impossible, to wheel his wheelchair around the world. This was before the internet, so there was no interest. Wheelchairs mm -hmm. were not the cool thing as, as the Olympic, as the paraplegic games have become a big deal now. Th that was the one that nobody watched. You know, the, right. if you see a guy in a wheelchair, you, well, I don't know whether to look or to look away, don't want to stare. So it was a funny time. And so St. Elmo's Fire, if I'd have wrote that overtly about being in a wheelchair, it wouldn't have happened. So people listen to it and they think, oh, the pair of wheels is Demi Moore's Jeep. And for once in his life, a man has his time is when Emilio Estevez gets the girl. But it's entirely about moments in Rick Hansen's journey around the world. Um, when I'd written it um, and it became a big hit, people would then start saying to me, people in wheelchairs, people with disability, 
how could you know what I was feeling? Because this song actually captures the soul of me. That's and this a is huge what I'm gift. talking about. Yes, yeah, my yeah. own my own adversity. Because I've been, yeah, I mean, everybody's, there's a lot of rain in people's lives, but I've had a fair bit in mine. And uh, it's empowered me, you know, and, and uh, I, I want to use that power to, uh, you know, and you have to disguise it. You can't, you know, be put the dog collar on and be an evangelist always. And so you have to, uh, you have to kind of, uh, a, a, a religious pal of mine said, you know, you've got to have, uh, you've got to have the gentleness of lambs, but the cunning of snakes. And that was, a, <laughs> pastor said it. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, because it, it bothered me, you know, thinking, well, he'd asked me to do a, I took a Sunday, I'm not, I've never done it before, I was in Carolina. And he said, would you do the Sunday service? And I just, I just told the story of my life and my work with the military and a few examples of inspiring stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it worried me doing it, you know? And he said, well, he said, he said he prayed a lot because he'd listened to Naughty Naughty and it was pretty, pretty raunchy and some of my stuff's pretty raunchy. He said, but he said, uh, he got the thumbs up and gave me the gig. And uh, so, yeah. You know, it's all that. I would have never had the, what's the word? I would never have the desire or the belief to do it. Because, you know, even as a guitar player, you can practice a lot, can't you? But when you suddenly put in front of people, everything changes. And you have to trust in your time served on the guitar. Well, that's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be fine because I put my time in. And I think I kind of put my time in as a human being, I think, you know. You did, and it's authentic, though. There's a difference, too. People can smell it if you're not. It depends what audience you're going for. If you're going, like, top 40 radio can really, really be kind of fickle. But you've established an audience, and the world's changed a lot, where authenticity is 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 key for a lot of music lovers, and you're real. You know, you're like everybody else. There's no big rock star thing, and you're writing songs from the heart. And if you don't put exact words in it a certain way, the relatability, even though because what it's about is your heart and, and things are going on. Hmm but you're not labeling words. Like I knew your album inside it out before Sam was fire. So when I heard those words, I thought it was nothing about the movie. I didn't know about the wheelchair at first, but that was nothing about the movie. I liked it and it felt good with the movie. It had nothing. To, it didn't even feel like no, it no, fit. I'm like, I don't yeah. even understand the lyrics of the movie. <laughs> if it was supposed yeah. to be. So later yeah. on hearing more about it, it felt more just like, it was just, to me, it was just a John Farr song that was catchy on a big soundtrack that they needed a push at first because. Yeah. Well, also, even St. Elmo's Fire itself, I never saw the movie when I wrote the song. All I, all I did was I, uh, Joel Schumacher, the director, told me what the movie was about. And David Foster, who I wrote it with, uh, he filled me in. But I just wasn't getting inspired. But I knew St. Elmo's Fire was a, a phenomen- phenomenon of nature. And... Uh, it glows in the sky. It goes around the mass of ships, around the wings of airplanes. When there's a lot of phosphorus in the air, it's a freaky thing. And to me, I, in my mind, I saw Rick Hansen wheeling up a mountain with St. Elmo's fire in the sky, and he's wheeling towards the embodiment of his dream. Now, in the movie, Rob Lowe just gets a gas, uh, gas container, and he goes, oh, it's just St. Elmo's fire. It's nothing. And he lights it, and it goes... Phew. Well, if mm-hmm. I saw that, that would have stopped my dream. So, yeah. you know, again, it's uh, I'm a hopeful romantic. It's just, you know, metaphors. And, well, thank God you just see the movie before. I mean, I think that's what it is. It's like 
the minutia of the details of what brought you into this framework of a thought of a process where yeah. you didn't have the framework, just like when you read a book and you don't see a movie at first, which you imagine. Exactly. Huge. So you've got that, an unlimited budget and an unlimited, right, so you unlimited just color palette. Work off of what you had, your heart, sure. and then your songwriting skills as opposed to bong another man's vision for, for a pop song. Yes. No. And though I want to know, go back to all his other albums and this new album, because everything John does right, is in par. I hate this fix your pun going in there. It's all even, it's all good. It's not just one good song. I mean, it's such solid albums, you know. Um, and I'm Thank glad you, you have man, new like, Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, you owe it, people. You know, they spend their dollar. I mean, when, what, before, I mean, I started out for money at 12 years old and the, the truck blew up when I was 30 years old, along with the band. And my wife was paying the bills for those three or four years. And she said, just write songs. I'll pay the bills. And 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 that's, that's I've, I've gone off the point what I'm saying here, but but that's what I was doing, just just believing and writing. And uh, you said something to me before that led me on to this. I'm just trying to think what you, oh yes, about the quality of it. Yeah. You know, about what you, and, and uh, I knew 32 was old in the music business in the eighties. That was pretty old. Yeah. So I knew that uh, there had to be, you know, an iceberg, you know, I had to have, some attraction on the top, but there was something more underneath it. And, you know, Naughty Naughty was a very deliberate thing for me. I, I knew that it was like a catchy tune, had some very clever sounds on it and, mm -hmm. and some sounds you'd never, hopefully never heard before, but it also was yeah. a rock song. Um, and I thought in my mind, I thought this is the only way I'm going to catch, uh, I'm going to catch that wave. Uh, is it, by people going, what is this? What is this? You know, and it and Atlantic didn't want to release it as the first single. They want to release a song called Magical. And it was a good song, Magical. I wrote with Meatloaf, but it wasn't Naughty Naughty. Naughty Naughty was, it did the job of an album, I think. It was on the chart for so long. Magical would have been a single, like a magical should be like a fourth or fifth single. I it's think a fun so. song. I think so. It's, yeah. not, it's not a lead off song by any no, means. No, not at all. It's not even a ballad. It's, it's very yeah. unique. I like it, but it's just not. A single not for not everybody. Naughty, no. It's not an I mean, out of the box. And that's the thing you're always searching for. And it's you know it's the hardest thing. And it must be hard for, you know, the greats to, you know, you, you, a Hotel California or a Love in an Elevator or, a, you know, You Give Love a Bad Name. You know, all those, you know, um, songs that define acts that they've got to try and better and I think that's the thing that's another argument for me you know I tour a lot with a lot of kind of vintage acts like with Farno and with Journey mm -hmm. and 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 um, um, and the like and um, they're fabulous they're still great uh, yeah. but they need a don't stop believing or they need a word waiting for a girl like you. That's what they need. It's no, mm -hmm. you know, why, why have they got millions of fans and, and the records aren't, you know, they don't make records. Journey said to me, it's not worth us making records anymore. You know, we don't sell enough records and we got too many songs in the set. Yep. But, you know, I think if you want to be valid, you should be, you've got to write, that killer song. I agree. I agree with you on that level as a fan, especially. But I realize I think because nowadays you really can't um, 
albums, no one buys albums for anybody, really, pretty much. It's like a handful of people. For, it's not even about rock anymore. Yeah. But I no. also believe being a musician, at this point, you can write and record in your own studio and just release singles or just release a small packet, you know, for a small price off your website. Now, you, you kind of have control. You can probably still make more money from it. So as an artist, I respect artists wanting to do it. But I get there's a catch for it, too, you know, of how many albums or how many songs in a set list. Well, yeah, there is that. But I mean, if like this place, there's no way I'm ever going to make this money back. You know, I mean, you, I get a royalty check and I, I, I think not car, I think compressor, I think EQ. And, you know, in the world, you, can't take it with you. you know, worlds for plugins, you know, $200. But, you know, these babies are two grand, you know, yeah. and who can tell the difference, you know, but I love it. You know, it's my passion. And it's like you say, with making records. I'm making a new record. I just paid for the film to be made. It's, is, is it cost effective? No. Can I, can I afford to do it? Not really. But if I push myself, I can do it. And, and you know, that's, that's all that I love it. Does it make you, you feel know? good, John? Does it make you feel good? Does it feel good to write yeah, good songs me, that you do? Yeah, it makes me feel good. And, and, and there you, you go. Know, it, it feels like you, and also, I got to get it out. It's, it's you know it's yeah. like if you if you're poorly you got to get it out it, but yeah. if I'm creative I've got to get I've got to release it and you know I still feel uh, hungry to release it and hungry enough to pick my guitar up every day and practice every day you know because um, I'm, I'm a musician <laughs> you're, you're a musician you're a rock, a rock star you're a musician yeah and that's the difference and that's why I love talking to people especially I go to you know I gravitate you because you're, it's not about What's, what's relevant and not relevant? Who makes these rules up? Those are the same people who say what's relevant and cool. The, you know, the record industry of like, who's popular next year? Yeah. The, all these YouTubers won't be popular. Or who cares? Do you like writing a song? Do people like listening to it? Does, do, do, do half these songs you yeah. write and then do, does it, does it touch people and make them feel good? Oh my God, what number a double one. gift for you. You do music number and one. you make people feel good? That's right, man. That's, That's a millionaire. Yeah. You know, I used to say, I want to reach out those speakers. I want to hit your head, your heart, and your groin. That's what I'm shooting for, you know. Uh, does it do that, you know? And and if it doesn't, it doesn't make it, you know. That is excellent. I, I want to thank you for your time. And maybe when your album comes out, we can come back and talk some more about it. I'd love to break it Absolutely. down. I'd love to break down albums. This has been fantastic. What, what are we aiming for your album? Like, do you have a, a deadline? Not like a well, release. Would, I, I, th I think literally five minutes before we spoke, uh, another gig was canceled. I was playing with an orchestra next month and they pulled it. Uh, so I think we're going to see, uh, certainly in the UK, a bit more of a deadening down. Uh, I, I, want to, uh, I want to fine tune the record, fine tune the movie, and then go out and start anew, look for the deal and look for the manager. And uh, I think getting all that in place, um, it's going to be probably spring next year. So thank you. Uh, everyone go check out John Parr's stuff. Everything's going to be linked to me to show all his stuff, all his his, his website, everything. Check out all his albums that you have and get ready for his new one. And I'll talk to you again soon, okay? God bless. Thank you, John. You have a good day.